Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together. Thank you so much for joining us. Today we have a wonderful interview and I'm going to go ahead and put all the necessary links down mm-hmm. into the show notes below. They'll be very important for you guys to to be able to, to do all the clicky clicks because we're going to be talking about a lot of different things today. Um, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We had Mary McCamey on the show today and she runs an absolutely wonderful uh, Facebook group, which is linked down below, uh, regarding ChatGPT and AI and how to use it in your homeschool. And Mary is a 30-year college educator. Yeah. She's a homeschool parent as well. So, And she is using AI in her classrooms with her students. She's using AI in her homeschool with her son. Absolutely incredible to conversation. Mm-hmm. This is a must-have if you are new or kind of like, wondering how to use AI or you know how, how, how should I approach it? Mary does an unbelievable job explaining all the nuance, mm-hmm. explaining how she's using it in her classroom, and you can glean a lot of ideas and inspiration, hopefully, to bring it into your own homeschool. Yeah, I think this is a big episode where you're just going to want to experiment. And I think that that was what I took out of, you know, Mary's interview was that, gosh, there's so many capabilities. um, Mm -hmm. But we're just going to have to experiment and find different things that work for us. I already know that, you know, we've used it in a lot of ways for our personal lives. um, And and I'm in school right now. And so I'm using it there, too. but we're also like, how do we leverage this for our homeschool? Um, and she had some great, you know, anecdotes about how it's helped her in her homeschool. Uh, but I think that there's, it's almost one of these things where I don't know what I don't know. Like, I don't know how far yeah. I can go with this. And I don't think any of us will until we really just dive in and play. So if you don't have a chat GPT account yet, or and you can log in with your Google account um, and you haven't tried it at all. Maybe you've been on the fence or you're not sure about it. Mm-hmm. I think Mary makes a great argument for you to just jump in, start having a conversation with it, see what you can get out of it. And, you know, it's a tool. And she said mm-hmm. this a couple of times, and, and I think it's absolutely true. It's a tool for us to use, and we just have to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I feel like it's like one of those multi-tools where it has it's like all, Swiss Army knife. Yeah, it has all kinds of different things. And I'm like, what does this weird part do? I don't know, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to experiment and we'll figure it out. Um, so lots to experiment with here. But we would love to hear, it, you know, from your experimentation with these new AI tools, you know, what cool things that you've come up with for your homeschool? Because uh, I think this kind of communal nature is how we're going to learn. There's not like a instruction manual out there that tells you everything you can do. Uh, so we're all just going to have to kind of learn together. But this interview with Mary was absolutely terrific. Yeah. So let's go ahead and hop right into the interview with Mary McCamey. Well, hi, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we're really excited to dig into this topic. We love all things technology and AI, but let's get everybody grounded in ourselves. Can you give us a little bit of your professional background and talk about your homeschooling experience? I certainly can. I have a master's in educational psychology, 
and a doctorate in counseling psychology. I've taught on the college level for a little over 30 years. And during part of that time, I've also practiced clinically. Um, and then I've homeschooled for, uh, well, eight years now. I started when he was in kindergarten and he's now in middle school. I don't know how that happened, but um, less um, passes by so quickly. And then about a year ago, I started hearing about artificial intelligence. And to be really honest, I was very, very skeptical. Um, I heard about it from um, social media and reels and that kind of thing. And what I was hearing was, oh, you've got to get on board. You can't uh, let it pass you by. You, you know, it's, it's going to be the end of the world if you, if you don't get on board. And, and that's not really the approach that I like to take to life. And then the other thing that I was hearing was, um, hey, students, have this write your paper for you. And I thought, that's not a good idea. And so I really entered the whole realm of artificial intelligence very cautious and very skeptical of what it could do. And I was talking with a friend of mine and conveying my concerns about it. And she agreed with me. But then she said, why don't we try it and see what we think? And that seemed very reasonable to me because, as my mother would always tell me, don't tell me you don't like something until you've tried it. So I sat down, or actually my friend and I sat down together, and we were going back and forth. And it wasn't long before I realized that some of my concerns really were legitimate, but a lot of my concerns were not. And that's when I got into seeing how it could apply to education, how it could apply to homeschooling. And that's kind of how I got into this. I absolutely agree. That's um, I, I'm kind of an amateur writer and I have some writer friends and they were a little leery of AI, um, the generative text writing and also the image generation as well. And I kept telling them, I said, you know, I know you're afraid of it. And I know it's concerning. I know you have some moral issues with with the usage and maybe the origin of how they train the materials and and the and the product. But have you tried it? <laughs> you know, like have you really tried it and seen seen what it can do? And almost universally across the board, you're right. People are a little concerned about you know what what it can do, but they're amazed at what it allows them the potential you know, of you know what is you know what is capable. Um, to accomplish. So can we walk through the parents who are listening, homeschool parents who are listening, um, you know, kind of through the land of AI, you know, what is out there? Who are the major people, you know, and maybe your recommendation on where, where people should start? Okay. I think it helps to understand that artificial intelligence has been in our lives for a while. We just didn't know it. And the new form is a little bit different. But if you have used Alexa, she's run off of artificial intelligence. If you've ever asked Siri for directions, that's run off of artificial intelligence. If you have smart devices in your home, those are run off of artificial intelligence. Roomba is run off of an artificial intelligence. If you're getting recommendations at Netflix or Amazon, those are run off of artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence itself is not new, but this form of it is. And this form of it is that we can carry on a conversation. And that conversation is more than asking for directions or asking a specific question of Alexa. And it's that conversation that makes it kind of feel 
weird that I'm carrying on this conversation, but it's not with another person. It's with a computer. And that seems kind of creepy. But it helps to think about artificial intelligence as a tool. It's not the end of the world, as some people will have us to believe, but it's also not the be-all, end-all cure to everything either. It's a tool. I like to think of it as a personal assistant, something that's there to help me figure out what it is that I want to do, to be able to do it, and to be successful. There are various forms of artificial intelligence, and the one that we're most familiar with is the text generators. They are the ones that we can talk to. And so you've got ChatGPT, which is what most people probably know, but you've also got Bard and Bing and Claude. And I would say those are the four primary text ones. And you, everything is text. You talk to it and it gives you a response and then you can respond to what it said and it will respond back. And it's very much like a conversation. But there are also AI generators for art or for music or for videos. And then you've got some platforms that are very specific to a particular task, like taking information from a PDF and making a lesson plan with it, or taking information from a PDF and making a slideshow with it. If you were to look up, there's an AI for that, and it's there's an AI for that.com. It will list out all of the platforms, all of the AI platforms that it knows of. And I looked yesterday, and there are 11,800 and some odd. So almost wow. 12,000 artificial intelligence apps out there. Do we need all of those? No, we don't need all of those. We need the few that do the task that we want to get done. It would be kind of like saying, there's all sorts of kitchen appliances. Well, there are, but do you need them all? No, you just need the few that allow you to do the job that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So, no, I, Yeah, that, that sounds like a great summary of, of what I've seen as well. Some people may have an application-specific mm -hmm need like what you said there's 12,000 of them they may need something that's you know in the health you know realm and whatnot and then something else but most of us we probably would just interface with a handful of them did you find that there was a large learning curve when using sort of let's talk about the big players the chat gpts the clods the bard i think bard is getting rebranded to gemini now so there's a lot of flux but um was it hard to use those at first? Would, would, would a, a homeschooler or somebody new to the technology find it difficult or challenging? With the text generators, I found it amazingly easy. Mm -hmm. um, you sit down, you ask it a question, and it can be a question like, I'm a homeschool parent. How can I use you? And let it tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, I would say I just sat down and started asking questions, I, literally just playing with it. Mm -hmm. um, what can I do here? Um, can you give me science experiments to do? Um, how would I teach reading to a child who has dyslexia? You know, whatever my issues are and just let it start talking. 
giving me the information back. Um, I would say just in a week or two, I had a really good feel for what it could do within a month. I was very comfortable with it, but I would also say that I'm still learning. I'm still refining. I find that there are um, tasks out there that I hadn't thought about. Like um, a couple of months ago, somebody um, on one of the, in one of the AI groups that I'm in made mention of having it write Mad Lib. I hadn't thought of that. So there are a lot of things that you may not think of yourself, but as you're interacting with others, you're finding out and it's like, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. Our kids love Mad Lib. And that's incredible how, how it almost feels like it's evolving. I know the tech underneath is being updated all the time and it's growing and it feels like we're we're playing with a living thing in in almost like a, a metaphor sense in the way it's being developed, not only just and how it appears to us to be a living thing, like this artificial intelligence, this communication, this conversation that we can have with it. I found with using the the image generating tools and maybe the video generating tools, it was a little bit more difficult, um, but still fairly easy to use. There's a little bit more of like, they call it prompt engineering. How do you engineer your prompt? Um, did you find that that was a little bit of a gotcha for you um, when using these tools as you know, trying to figure out how, how to get the information or how to get the thing you want out of that? Was there a little bit difficulty there or was that what you learned over the, those few months or weeks that you used the tools? I haven't done it for music or videos. Okay. have done a good bit with art mm-hmm. and it is definitely a, a steeper learning curve with the art because you have in your head what you might want. But when you're talking, when you're typing in the prompt, you think you're conveying that, but then it interprets what you're typing in a way that isn't necessarily what's in your head. And so you have to learn how to convey what you're actually wanting into the words for it to interpret. That is a much harder learning curve, although not difficult, but it is a lengthier process than sitting down with a text generator where it's more forgiving of how you phrase things. I agree. That's been my experience as well. And I know ChatGPT has the web interface through a a browser, but they also have the app on the phone. And I found using the phone um, uh, version of their tool to be very almost liberating in the sense that I can use it anywhere at any time and I can get answers. Um, So let's talk about educators out there. They've they're hearing okay, ChatGPT. They're hearing you know Bard. They they understand Claude. They, so they got a couple names out there. Where would you would you recommend say like a homeschooling parent? You know you, you you've got eight years under the belt. You're nearing the decade. We're we're about half a decade right now, uh, for on our side. Where would you recommend you know a parent to attack first? It, would would you say what is my biggest challenge with my student? My my right now should I go and attack that or? Would you recommend them to use it in a different way? What would be your recommendation for a new educator to walk in to using these tools? First thing I would say is start with a free platform. There's no need to pay for it until you need to pay for it. I would say even before uh, tackling the challenges is to start and just play with it. Explore. What can it do? Um, What happens if I ask this question? What happens if I ask that question? 
get a feel for what it does and then move into the challenges and say, oh, look, I've got a child, like for me, I've got a child who doesn't like history. What can I do to make history more enjoyable? What, what are some fun and engaging ways that I can incorporate history maybe into other subjects? Um, or, you know, I have a child with dyslexia who has difficulty reading how can I approach reading instruction with my child in mind? Mm-hmm. Um, really go for those areas of challenge because once it starts solving your problems, you're going to um, really appreciate those solutions. It helps if you can give um, a little bit of context and a bit about your audience. So if you're working on solutions for your kids, It helps to say, you know, right now we're studying the human body, but prior to that, we have studied the um, astronomy or um, whatever the the sciences that you've built up to so that it knows what you're dealing with. And then here's some information about my child, not necessarily giving the child's name, Because, you know, there's still privacy issues, but you can certainly say I have a six-year-old girl who really enjoys reading and history but doesn't like math or science. Um, Here are their strengths, here are their weaknesses, that kind of thing. Can you help me build a lesson plan um, for this particular child? And then it takes all of that information into consideration when it's building your lesson plan. That's very neat. The more general question you ask, the more general response you get. But when you can ask very specifically, then you get specific responses back. Hmm. So you said that parents should just start with the free version until you need to go for the paid version. What I'm curious uh, from your perspective, what that point is when, what is it that the paid version gets you that the free doesn't, when would parents know that they, you know, need to consider that upgrade? I think that's going to come with experience. And at the point that the platform that you're using doesn't solve your problem, or you need something that is behind the paywall, that's the point to start paying. Um, it's, it's a little bit hard because it depends on which platform you like. Like Bard and Bing both have access to the internet, but the free version of, Jet, of ChatGPT does not. And so the paid version does, but do you want to pay for that if you can go over and use Bard or Bing for free? Mm-hmm. But what ChatGPT Um, excels in is the um, custom instructions and that's on both the free and the paid version where you can put in information that you want it to know in every conversation that you go into because I use it for homeschooling and personal things and my job I don't want it to know something specific in all of those conversations, but the paid version of chat GPT allows you to make individual GPTs. Sounds kind of weird, but um, Mm -hmm. basically it's a customized one. 
So I do have a customized one for my son because he has dyslexia and auditory processing issues and absolutely hates history. And so I have one set up with his strengths, his weaknesses, what he likes, the games that he likes to play. And then I go in and ask it, okay, now I need a history lesson on the American Revolution. And it will pull from all of the information about him and make it very specific to him. That, to me, is what we're paying for. So, you know, maybe we'll jump. So I had a question that was going to come a little bit later, but maybe we can pull that in. Um, that's the idea of kind of a personal assistant in some respects. And I and I, I feel like they're trying to go in that direction. The companies that are trying to build these tools, they want this AI to be there to assist you um, in your daily life. And it seems like that is kind of how you've kind of moved towards where you have all this information and uh, that you've given it that is specific to your child. So it can answer those questions easier as opposed to starting fresh and then having to hone it, hone your conversation every single time towards what you need. You, you've already set the groundwork in some respects. You, you feel like that is the proper way to use the product with respect to, um, you know, an educator and a, a, a student. Is that the proper way to use it? My suspicion is that there are a lot of proper ways to use it. I don't know that this is the only way to use it. Um, I do think we have to be careful about some things. I think it's really helpful when you can specialize um, and and make the learning specific to your child. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we have to be careful about the privacy of the information. Like, I set this up around him, but I still never called him by name. I didn't give it any personal information like a birth date or social security number or anything like that, because we don't know what happens with this data. Hmm. So yes, use it in general to give some general information, but I wouldn't give it very specific information. I think that's a great recommendation because we, I don't know if the companies have stated or clearly stated if they're using a lot of times when, when tech companies have a free product, you get to use it, but you don't realize you're actually part of the product (laughs) where you are training the tool by using it. Or, you know, like with a Facebook, you are the customer. I mean, you are the product that's being sold to advertisers by using a free platform is, do we know if they are, using any of that information? Have they stated that or have they not? They have not. And the United States has not set up regulations yet, but other countries have started setting up regulations on what can be used. So I'm waiting to see what we come up with. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I know there's there's a lot of legal and regulatory stuff that's kind of in flux around AI, the generative LLM AI um, tools that have come out. So that, that's interesting. So let's, let's stay back on the, the, being the teacher. I, I was on your Facebook group and we'll talk about your Facebook group a little bit later. Um, but I saw a post where you posted something where a teacher was talking about how, you know, using the AI tools and like, I think it was like a reading sense or a writing sense, writing short stories. And they noticed that the kids went wild and, and the creativity kind of came, you know, like, exploded and they were reading and writing and creating and 
molding and whatnot. And they were just, they were commenting that they could never have had that level of engagement with the students by just having a normal lesson plan, having them sit down and write a story and whatnot. But using the AI, they saw this huge explosion of creativity. Have you, could you give us maybe some ideas or talk about some other examples where you have seen out in the wild where using AI has, you know, allowed students to just be, you know, become unleashed in their creativity and, 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 and in doing so are learning and reading and acting um, in the ways that we would want them to do. I don't think it's just for the students. I think it's for us as homeschool parents. It's us for as teachers as well. I can tell you um, a personal story. Mm -hmm. We'll go back to my son who doesn't like history. And I have tried so many different ways of, of hooking him. Um, when his father was alive, his father absolutely loved history. Mm-hmm. And I would think that that would have hooked him, but it didn't. And we've tried games, which normally work, and they didn't work. And we've tried videos, which normally work, and they didn't work. We've even done field trips. You know, who doesn't love Colonial Williamsburg? <laughs> but he did right? And so I'm like... I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through to him. And I mean, he doesn't have to fall in love with it, but we have to like accomplish something. Right. And so I sat down kind of in a, a state of desperation one night and I'm like, what do I do? And so I, 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 I just sort of poured my heart out to chat GPT and, <laughs> and said, here's all the things that I've tried. And nothing is working. But here's what he likes. And here's his strengths. And here's his weaknesses. And just help me figure out what do I do. And it said, teach him through art. Because he loves art. And I'm like, why have I never thought of that? You know? And so it was like, use art history. And then, like, when you're teaching about the prehistoric time periods, have him create cave art and stuff. And I'm like, Mind blown, had never gone there. And so, you know, that's one of the ways that it works for us um, with my students. See, I've, I've, brought, I've brought artificial intelligence into the classroom at the college level. And I know I'm early on this because my students tell me that no other professors even let them use it, much less require them to use it. But... I have had them to um, act, uh, to have artificial intelligence act as, it's a command, act as a famous person. And for our class, they're studying um, nine theorists. And so after we study each one of them, I have them to go on to um, artificial intelligence. Usually they use Chad GPT, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask it to act as the theorist and carry on a conversation. And the students told me, I, you know, we were really skeptical about this assignment, but they really like it. And they carry on this conversation beyond the three questions that I've asked them to because they're excited about it and they're learning about it. But then I also, after the fact, have them to go back and to assess it for its accuracy. Because one of the things that we know is that this 
that artificial intelligence is what we call generative. It likes to generate or it likes to create information, which is different than just giving me fact. And so you've got to go back and assess the accuracy of the information. And so in their assignment, they have to tell me, based on having learned about the theory, what is accurate and what is not accurate here. I will say that most of the time it's accurate, but not always. And I need you to be able to catch that when it's not accurate. It's one of the critical thinking skills that, um, that we're trying to build in them. Then there are all sorts of other things that you can do. You can have it to um, make a, a, like a vocabulary list, although I don't have it make the list because let's say that I've got a fifth grade student. If I ask it for fifth grade vocabulary words, it gives me more like eighth or ninth grade. It, it doesn't seem to, to match the level. But if I go on the internet, if I go to an education site and I say, what are appropriate words, vocabulary words for fifth grade, I can pull those. And then I can ask um, ChatGPT, can you give me the word, the definition, the part of speech, the synonym, the antonym, and maybe even use it in a sentence hmm. and ask it to give it to you in a table and it will just write that right out. Now, fifth grade vocabulary, you would know, so you can assess the accuracy of it right there. If you were getting into more advanced terminology, then you might need to check that. But then you've got a table there with all of the information that then you can use in teaching your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I've, I've actually started. I've started doing as well with my daughter. She's in uh, second grade, going to be third grade later this year. Um, that's what level she's at. And and I have been getting some of those um, most frequently used words at this grade level, kind of what you were suggesting. And I would actually give that to ChatGPT and say, here are my 25 words. Can you give me one sentence you know, at a second grade reading level for each one of these words? And it goes ahead and you know, cranks out all 25 sentences. I'll check them real quick and I give those to my daughter to then read those words. And, and I have found that to be very helpful or to generate me a 10, you know, 10 line short story that uses the following six words at least three times each. And it will go ahead and just generate that short story though. So that when she reads that short story, she gets experience with those words. And it's a, I'm kind of hitting like multiple things at once, you know, just vocabulary, but reading and then reading comprehension. And I can even um, specify on, you know, what the type of story is, you know, is a fantasy story with dragons or whatever like that. So I can actually make it something that's interesting to what she wants. And that's funny that you, you, you're mentioning a, a similar thing as well. Um, I wanted to have a quick question on, you know, in the classroom, you're talking about all of these cool things that, that they can do. Do you have any other concerns? You were talking about accuracy. Um, do you have any other concerns as an educator with using AI so that maybe parents can like keep that in their mind for them to be concerned about or to watch out or maybe even have a little bit of um, kind of a short list of best practices that people can use when using AI? Well, definitely to check the accuracy, use the critical thinking skills that we are developing in kids to, um, to assess it rather than just accepting it at face value. 
one of the problems that we have is sometimes when we see something written down or on a screen, it looks right, so it is right. And so we have to get them to the point of, of, of questioning it. Is this actually true? So using those critical thinking skills, we also have to understand the limitations of artificial intelligence. It is not a fact um, finder. I heard the analogy one time that it, artificial intelligence is like getting a hundred of the brightest minds together in the same room and you're asking them questions and you're generating lots of ideas and it's really, really good for brainstorming. But if you were to ask those 100 people a very specific, obscure question, they're probably not going to know off the top of their head. You know, uh, what person died in 1502? They don't know. But if you ask them, what are some good science experiments to do? They could probably tell you that, but not specific facts. This is also one of the problems of having artificial intelligence do um, math because it's not good at the facts of math. Sometimes it's accurate, but sometimes it's not. But I have heard math teachers um, encourage the use of a plugin called Wolfram, which is W-O-L-F-R-A-M. And it's a plugin. I have not used it, so I can't speak from experience, but um, when math teachers are are advocating it, it sounds like a pretty good idea, but it allows artificial intelligence to do math correctly. And then you can also have it explain what is going on. You know, how did you approach this problem? How did you solve it? What are the steps of solving it? And so you can use that. But again, you've got to understand that artificial intelligence on its own is not going to do math well, but if you have that plug-in, then it, then it does much better. One problem that you've got, too, is that if artificial intelligence is going out and looking through its database, or possibly if you've got those that will access the internet, it goes out and finds information, and it should paraphrase it, but it doesn't always paraphrase it. And so you have the potential for unintentional plagiarism because it's giving it to you word for word. And you as the writer, the student, whomever, are even unaware that it's word for word because you've never seen that specific source. And so whenever you get anything from artificial intelligence, you need to put it into your own voice. You need to use it, but not copy it word for word any more than it doesn't need to be copying its sources word for word. But you can avoid the potential of that unintentional plagiarism by paraphrasing what you get, even when you get it from ChatGPT. Um, what I tell my students and what I tell my son, too, is I'm okay with you using artificial intelligence if you use it to help you learn and not to avoid learning. Use it to help you write your papers. I'm fine with that. But don't use it to have it write your paper for you so that you don't have to learn how.
How do you handle specifically the issue of citations in your class? It, you said, you know, have it have have it be a companion, have it help you learn. But what about going out and finding the papers and reading the papers and citing the correct papers and, and things of that nature? How do you handle that at a college level with with your students using ChatGPT to write a paper, right? I mean, there is the concern that maybe there is some hidden plagiarism by helping, you know, you know, write your paper and whatnot. Obviously, you want them to write mm -hmm. it. Maybe ChatGPT is an aggregator of information, almost like how we used to treat Wikipedia back in the day when it was verboten for us to use it in high school um, and in college. But now it's a widely used starting point for a lot of people to do learning. Do you anticipate it being like that? And how do you handle citation? I ask the students not to have it go and find um, academic citations or academic sources because Again, it's a generative platform. So if it doesn't find something, it creates it. And then it's completely and totally made up. So right now, it's not a trustable source for finding academic resources. So I suggest to the students not to have it find um, resources because those resources are sometimes just completely made up mm -hmm. you can go find the sources yourself you can even you know ask it to help you understand particularly journal articles at the college level those journal articles are really hard for students to understand so you can ask it to help you understand what's in there you can help it have it to help you summarize the information but don't have it tell you what sources to go find because those sources might not exist. And then you're really in trouble when your professor finds that you are not um, using sources that you're just making them up. That's a great point. I know Ariel is currently doing her master's and I know, was it Claude? Was it Claude that you were using that was able to summarize no, articles and web? I was using ChatGPT Chat and okay. it was great because you know I would come up against something and they would assign this like 50 page thing to read in a week. And I mean, not only is that a lot of reading, um, but I just it's didn't, dry, I didn't dry, understand like, it like all. Toast, toast dry. <laughs> yeah. So I was able to say like, help, help me summarize each of the sections of this. Um, and then, and then I was able to really understand, like I'd read it and then I'd ask ChatGPT to summarize it. It was almost like having cliff notes or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was really, really helpful to understand some, some complex business topics. I was like, I don't understand, you know, <laughs> it, and I was so thankful that it existed because otherwise I would have to go out to, you know, I, I like, I wanted to use the primary source that they gave me and having it go through and, and help kind of summarize, take the fluff out, just kind of give me the meat of it was so helpful. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Mary, I had a quick question about, you know, the effect on mastery. Um, I know as we are learning and as we are educating and you're a professor 30 years, you, you know, this, you're an expert in this. You want to know that your your students know the material when they leave the when they leave the class to the best of their ability. Obviously, um, how is this impacting ed education? Are you seeing a move towards away from papers? It sounds like you're pushing them still to use AI and helping write papers. Do you foresee a change on the horizon? Maybe more towards like oral examinations, presentations, kind of like group work because of the fear that AI will just write everything that they want, you know, all their assignments into all their homework? Are you, are you seeing educators or institutions 
starting to think in different ways of testing mastery? I see a few different approaches. One is to bury your head in the sand and keep doing what you're wanting to do and forbid AI. And that seems to be a fairly large population right now. I do think that's going to change over time. There are certainly some professors, teachers um, that are going into the approach of how do I find an assignment that is AI proof, that can't be done. And certainly there are oral presentations and there's having the, the student write their paper in front of you and not allowing it. Um, there's internships and those kinds of things that just simply can't be done with artificial intelligence. And then there's a, a group that is trying to embrace artificial intelligence and bring it into education and have students learn how to use it. And one of the things that I think is really important here is this is new technology. We can't assume that students know how to use it. In fact, um, many educators are really fearful that students are just um, cheating with it. That's, that's a major, major fear of a lot of educators is that students are just cheating with it and they're just getting by and not actually learning. But when they've surveyed the students, the students are like, we're afraid to use it. We don't know what's okay to do and what's not okay to do because we're only being told avoid it. So I think we as educators, as we begin incorporating artificial intelligence, is to teach them what is okay and what is not okay. And I'm actually very specific um, in my syllabus, going assignment by assignment. Here's the assignment. Here's what I want you to do. And then right after that, can I use artificial intelligence on this assignment? Here's a list of the ways you can use it. Here's a list of the ways you're not supposed to use it. Because until we say to them, it's okay to have it proofread your paper, they don't know if it's okay or not. And they don't want to get um, accused of using something that they're not supposed to use. And they don't want to get in trouble. And so they're feeling like their hands are tied because they don't know what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. And so I think part of our job is to teach them that. And that's going to be specific by instructor. What's okay to do in my class might not be okay in another class. And you will have to know for each instructor what's permissible for their class and in that particular assignment. This is really interesting. I mean, this is at the college level. Um, what what do you think for, you know, kids that are still, you know, we're still homeschooling, we've got elementary age kids and um, where would you start them with, with AI? Would you start it with, you know, helping them to do story prompts or, you know, we've talked a lot about us using AI to help plan lessons and come up with new cool ideas, but what about getting our kids started being the the users of AI and how can we, how can we start them on the right foot and maybe how do we protect them from, you know, not doing things that wouldn't be healthy for them? 
I think as homeschoolers, we are at an advantage because we are usually very involved in their learning. So we know what they're doing. We know what they're capable of. We know where they struggle. And so they can't just go use artificial intelligence to cheat um, because it would be completely and totally obvious. And so I, I see that as an advantage because you're not going to get fooled by them using it. And you can start out and teach them the ways of, of doing it. I think when we are working with kids and artificial intelligence, one, we have to supervise what they're doing. There are a couple of main concerns. One is, and, and I said this earlier, when we see something in writing, it appears that it's true. And this is particularly true for kids who don't have the critical thinking skills yet to, to look at that and go, I don't think that's true. So as soon as they read it, they think it's true. <clears throat> and then the second thing is that because kids are talking to a computer and not to another person, they think it's private. They think that anything they put into that is private and nobody is going to see. And so they are at risk of revealing personal information, their name, their birth date, their social security number, or whatever else that then goes into a database. And so I do believe we have to supervise kids on their use of it, not because it's um, necessarily dangerous and that it's going to give them wrong information, which is still possible, but more on how they approach using it and that they see this as kind of their confidant and um, and yet without recognizing that that data might uh, go into a database and then there could be this data breach and now their information is out there. No, that, that I think that goes along with all, yeah, internet literacy type of thing. I think what you're saying is I think a lot of us are adults now are you know, we've been on our phones for at least 10 years now, and we're starting to realize that data privacy is a very, very important thing. And I, and I, and I would echo exactly what you're saying. Um, Mary, this has been an absolutely wonderful mm -hmm. conversation. I, I can't tell you how, how great this was. I think this is, I, I'm going to put in the, in big, bold text must listen. You have to listen <laughs> to this. This is so important. Yeah. I Could, mean, I think this is going to be the new face of our of the future, of the future right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, learning how to use it and getting all the great ideas out of it. I, I love your story about figuring out how to teach history to your son. And um, you have a fantastic Facebook group that I've been a part of for a long time with a lot of parents who are who are saying who are using new types of AI, mm -hmm. who are asking questions, who are having new breakthroughs. Um, it's really terrific. It's called Chat GPT and AI and Homeschooling. So I highly recommend mm -hmm. that everybody join that group. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about it and maybe kind of where you're, where, where, what, what is your role and where do you hope to, to go with it? It's a group that I started last summer for those of us who are homeschooling who just want a place to explore how can I use artificial intelligence in homeschooling. It's not a place where I know everything and I come in to teach it, it's really a community where somebody tries something and they share with, you know, how did it go? Um, and, you know, here's a new um, platform that I find really helpful 
or, hey, I tried this platform and it didn't go well at all, or, you know, here are some ideas of what I'm trying with my kids, and really just kind of a think pipe, right, of, of just uh, a, a place to explore how to use it. No, it's it's been great, and I know that's the best way to learn these tools right now because there is no centralized repository of information or expertise and a big instruction manual. Yeah. And and I don't think there ever will be. I think it's always going to be this kind of like testing and trial thing for a long time. Um, That's been my experience with, you know, using the image generation and also using a little bit of the text generation. A lot of times I have to go out and Google something or ask a question or go on a Facebook group or on, you know, a subreddit on Reddit and try to figure out the information, use the right terms. For me, a lot of times it's the right terms and, and and putting in the right type of prompts and asking the right style of questions. Mary, thank you so much for being mm-hmm. on, on this on an episode today. I'm going to put the link to your Facebook group down below. I'll make sure and encourage everybody to go and check that out. Again, thank you so much, Mary, for, for talking with us today about probably one of the more important things that are coming out in the horizon. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!